It is time for Pet Chat and uh, good afternoon. Firstly, Cheryl Shaw. Hello, Mark. And Dr Paul McCarthy, fresh from a stint at the uh, voting uh, booth a couple of weeks ago. That's right, Mark. We might even get into that later. Oh, very good. All right, Cheryl. (laughs) Now, what will you have for us this afternoon? Going to be talking about some changes that are going to be happening if you're wanting to sell or give away or buy a cat or a dog. And, uh, Paul, you'll also be delving into skin today, I believe. Yes. So two weeks ago I had a caller I didn't think I had answered um, effectively. So we're going to have a really good look at skin so I can try and answer those questions better. Do your job right the first time. Correct. I'm we'll not. have you replaced in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, we need those callers early so Paul can answer those questions. Yes, yes, good Stop idea. sticking up for him. No, <laughs> he didn't have enough time. A bad workman always blames his tools. Cheryl, we're starting the program today with some new laws and new governance happening. That's right. There's been a parliamentary inquiry into the Companion Animal Breeding Program. And what's come out of that is that there's going to be a change as from the 1st of July. So any time that you're wanting to buy a kitten or a cat or a puppy or a dog, you're going to need to do a few things. If you um, are trying to advertise that dog or cat in the newspaper, on social media, you are going to have to have an ID number. Now, that ID number can be a few things. One of them can be your microchip number you can use to advertise the pet. It can be the breeder's number, so each breeder in New South Wales, and this is just in New South Wales because some states already have this happening, like in Victoria, but in New South Wales you can have your breeder's ID number from Dogs New South Wales, or if you're um, an organisation for rehoming animals, you'll have a a special number as well. So anybody who's going to advertise, say, a kitten for sale, has to attach that number in their newspaper or in their social media. So if you're going into um, one of the um, advertising like Trading Post or Gumtree, you must put that number in there now. And uh, what are some of the reasons for the the change in this, Cheryl? Okay, so part of it is to stop um, a lot of the puppy farming that's been happening and too much breeding on some some dogs. Again, some of it is to prevent people um, doing what we call the Macca car park exchange of dogs, where dogs are sometimes stolen and sold off or exchanged in car parks. But the other reason is that the government's not too sure about how many pets we actually have. And our microchipping register sometimes isn't um, quite up to date. Some of those dogs that are registered in council or in microchipping could have been there for 25, 30 years. And we don't know exactly how many dogs and cats we actually have living and how we can trace them. Just so that there was a, um, a, a breakout of some virus or some disease. It's very hard to track dogs that aren't or cats that aren't registered. Uh, um, in the um, primary industry, if you think about the meat that we eat, we know that the meat we eat can be traced right back to where it was sourced, where it was um, grown, so, you know, with the cattle on the farm. With our pets, we don't have that um, traceable um, ID, if you mm. like. So this is a way that they're going to be able to manage it. There are going to be fines that can be implemented if your dog or cat isn't registered um, on the fir- well, They'll give you a leeway, but the changes are happening on the 1st of July. Um, But it's going to give them a better idea of just what's going on, but also for local councils to be able to plan um, their parks, their, their areas for animals to go to and things like that. Uh, you mentioned this is for dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. Will there be a similar rollout to other pet uh, pets that we buy? Well, at the moment, this is where they're starting, and mm-hmm. I, no doubt that will come into effect. But the main thing is, um, all of it grew out of puppy farming because people started to get, you know, quite concerned about just how much puppy farming was going on, and we need a way to monitor just how many pets there are out there. 
but also tracing them back to if if something you know often people don't keep things up to date but it's trying to get um, the the ID um, of each pet so that we know the breed we know the sex we know whether it's desexed we know whether it's you know on the register or not and I imagine even though it might seem like a lot of work it, it not it's not really a lot to it you you have the you have the number and you just put it up there when you, you make your pet available for sale. Yes, that's right. And there will be fines if people are advertising, just like when they made the change. Um, I don't know if you can remember this, Mark. You always tell me you're so young. True. But when they made the changes to <laughs> registration, when you were selling your car, you had to put the registration into the paper and you can't sell a, a car without the registration number um, being advertised. So it's going to be a little bit like that for pets as well. There's a great website that the Department, uh, the Department of Primary Industry has if people wanting to know a little bit more about you know what's going to take effect it's a great thing to jump on and just have a look but a lot of people aren't aware you know some people still don't register with council some people fail to do the um, transfer of their microchipping do you see that Paul? Yeah so we commonly get puppies and kittens that have come in that either have been not vaccinated and microchipped um, more so in kittens because kittens are often found yes um, and so there is that, that that's a common scenario is that they do come in unidentifiable and the problem for us as a veterinarian is that we can't tell you if that animal has been taken from somebody else because they're not chipped so the advantage of, of having uh, a purchased pet that is chipped is we can track those dogs if they do come in so part of our general practice is that we scan dogs as they come through into the consult room yep. so we can find out you know just making sure that it is the right dog particularly for puppies um, and very important also for, for new owners is that often those those microchip paperworks aren't actually transferred to council or to pet find line for some weeks. Yes. So it's always important to know that you know that those those numbers match. So we also make sure that the paperwork that they've been given by their breeder matches their pet. Yeah, I remember when I had a litter having to go down to the practice to get the cat um the cats the dog scanned because a um, couple of the ribbons that we had on had come off and I wasn't <laughs> sure which dog was which, so we yeah. had to make sure that those numbers, you know, were the right numbers for the right dogs. Not so an that... uncommon scenario. We often get paperwork and dogs that don't quite match and uh-huh. dogs that particularly sort of breeds look very similar, so Rottweiler puppies, for example, yes. um, who all look the same often. Those those paperwork, the paperwork and the pup don't often always combine. Yeah, yeah. very important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, there's some of the, the very practical day-to-day benefits of this scheme that you're probably just not even thinking of. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's a really big step forward in um, in looking after companion animals. I reckon it's a really great idea. And it's been a long time in the making. I mean, we've had some wonderful people on board um, putting this all together. It just hasn't been, you know, a couple of people. It's been a few years of research and uh, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, a lot, of th- a lot of times these things do take a little bit of time, but great to see it'll be there. Obviously, as you said, Cheryl, maybe a little bit of leeway, but from July 1, yep. if you're not doing it already, you need to, yeah. to start doing it. Yep, yep. And advertising, they'll be they'll crack down on that straight away. But, you know, it's time to start thinking about registering your pet with the council. Yeah, keep in mind, governments do love fines. So if mm. you're not on top of this, they will. <laughs> and, Paul, this afternoon you want to take a look at skin. Firstly, yes. you're kind of addressing in full a call that we had a couple of weeks ago. Correct. So um, the, the call was regarding a, a dog being itchy. Now, um, what I want to start out with in the, in the topic today really is to let everyone understand that um, this lady had been treating her dog with a medication and each time the medication stopped, the itch returned. Now, sadly, the itch is always going to return. So allergies in dogs and cats do not go away. So just to remember from the outset, if you have been diagnosed with an allergic skin disease in your pet, that this will be a long-term management rather than a cure. Now, 
having said that, there are um, injections that we can have made up for you, which are called desensitization injections, and specialists can do those, and they can help you to desensitize your dog to what allergen may be out there. But there, there's generally never a foolproof anti-vaccination for, for skin as well. So clients get very frustrated when we sort of we give them the medication, they give the medication, they stop the medication, and the itch comes back. And I guess it's just that everyone out there realise that the itch is always going to return. I guess it's very frustrating, and I suppose the, the follow-up question could be, well, isn't there something that we can do beyond the treatment of the, the, the itch now that uh, maybe environmental factors that can help? And that's exactly right. So looking at what you can do to minimise the allergens that your dogs are exposed to. So particularly if your itch has been diagnosed in a young animal, a large percentage of those may well have a food allergy. Now, food allergies everyone always thinks gives you diarrhoea or vomiting, but lots of food allergies can actually cause skin eruptions and, and rashes. So look at, 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 at food, particularly in young dogs developing um, um, skin disease, quite commonly about at least even 30 to 50% of those dogs will have a food allergy. And there are lots of really good diets that are formulated now for dogs who have allergies, um, and they can be started often as puppies as well. So food allergy number one for a young itchy dog. It- I was just going to say, Paul, sorry, uh, yeah. if, if we think that that might be a road to look at, is there a way to sort of determine that by introducing different or taking different foods out slowly? Yeah, so, so often what we normally do is what's called a food trial. So generally a food is going to take about six weeks to form a response in, in a dog. Um, some can take as early as two weeks. So what we generally suggest is your first step is look at the protein source in the food you have been feeding and look for an alternative protein to that food type. So, for example, most foods on the, in the pet food market are either beef or chicken-based. So look at using an alternative protein such as fish or turkey or even kangaroo. Um, feeding a, what we call a novel protein or a new protein for a period of... I, I generally suggest that the clients give it at least four weeks before you sort of count out that that diet's making a difference um, is a great first step. The second step is that you can get what we call um, low-allergen or non-allergenic diets. So there are some very good ones on the market where those protein sources have been changed so that they don't actually mimic any of the protein sources you see in domestic um, commercial foods. And so it's more or less like starting from, from ground zero. Now, if a dog stops scratching after four weeks on one of those non-allergenic diets, it's very likely that food allergy is the cause. Then you can either decide, well, I can keep on this food long-term or I can try a different food type and see if I can work out what the protein is that my dog's reacting to. And what you do in that process is every six weeks, you can change your diet. You almost become a scientist with a lab coat on, That's correct, yep, yep, and get your little diary out and write down what if I'm, if I'm more itchy one day than the next day. Um, but remembering whenever transitioning from one food to the next, we don't just stop one food one day and feed the food the next day. We actually do a four-day transfer Okay. So day one, you give three quarters of your old food to one quarter new. The second day is 50-50. And day three, it's three quarters new food to one quarter old food. Day four, you're on, your old, on the new food. So I would have thought that, that – I would never have thought that. I would have just thought, well, we know this one's failing or, or we'll just cut and run and put the new one in. Why do we do that, that slow transition process? Yeah, and that's not for the skin. That's for the bowel. Uh-huh. So the gastrointestinal tract hates sudden change. 
So um, lots of dogs can develop diarrhea, changing from one food to the next food. Sometimes it can even be from one bag to the same bag. I always suggest don't let your food bag, if you're using feeding dry food in particular, don't let your food bag run out before you replace it with your new bag. Try and mix those two bags together so that you've actually got oh. some of the new food moving in with the old food before you do your changeover. Well, because it's obviously from a, a different batch. Different service. batch, different yeah. proteins, not so different protein, but different manufacture mm. dates, um, different processing um, mechanisms, even within the same brand, can mean that one food can actually act differently to another food. And particularly if you, you, you get your favourite brand and you see on the side of it that says new flavour. Ah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, new enhanced proteins, for mm. example. So always be checking when you change from bag to bag that they are like for like and even then still mix those around. So food allergy is a really easy one to help rule out in young dogs in particular. Cheryl, a little earlier you were mentioning some new rules in and around uh, when we sell the dogs and cats that are coming in from July 1. Uh, we did have a, a call from a list who said, look, with the this registration process that we're now going to have to put that information uh, out there with the ad, uh, he felt that may lead to more kittens and puppies being destroyed as the owner doesn't want to go through all of that process. Uh, but you guys have been batting that about and got some thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't believe that, um, that there, certainly there could be a situation where people who are trying to make money out of breeding pets could be not wanting to pay extra money for making microchipping and things mm. like this um, happen. But Ultimately, it's to look after the puppy farming situation so that we're not breeding what we call back-to-back. So um, dogs that are females aren't having one litter after the other after the other. So it's to try and prevent things like that from happening. It's really about the welfare of the animals. Mm, I agree, Sheila. I think if you have got a situation where puppies and kittens have been born by error, yes. so there's been a mismating or there's been a situation where... um, They've been waiting to desex and hadn't got their timing right. Um, there will always be a facility for the RSPCA to take those animals in. Okay, so I think this registration really is to try and prevent those people who are intending to make money out of rapid animal sales. So um, it's trying to really make sure that we're seeing that if you're, for example, getting a group of people who are, are putting dogs on sites so frequently, yes, then that perhaps there may be an there may be a reason that that's happening and it may be that these poor animals are being puppy farmed. So I think that's that's the reason behind that. I, I agree that there, there, there will be a process. I don't believe the process will either be laborious or financially um, costly. I don't think the government's trying to do anything for people who are looking to generally rehome animals. Yeah. I think this is more about trying to find where are the puppy farmers and what can we do to try and prevent that industry. Yeah. And the welfare of these animals. It's really important that animals are cared for properly Correct. and that we're doing the right thing in our breeding programs as well as you know home breeders as well. They just need to do the right thing by these pets. Yeah. Uh, and I guess for those who were, like you said, there's an error and they end up with um, puppies or kittens or whatever, I mean, the people that are going to uh, do that horrible thing, they're going to do it anyway. So there's not necessarily a greater risk. I don't believe yeah. so. I, th- I think this is more... As horrible as it sounds? No. I, 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 and you're right, Mark. I think there'll always sadly be that element who, who won't necessarily do anything to try and rehome an unwanted litter. But I think this is not to try and punish those who do. I think this is to try and help us to, as... As we already said, it gives sort of numbers for council to plan how many dog parks are required in local areas. It it provides government with information about um, 
how many pet owners there are out there, um, what what industries need to be around those areas, um, opening up lands for pet shops, uh, sorry, for pet um, markets, for veterinarians, you know, making sure that we're getting sort of an idea of, of just how many animals are being uh, are pets and, and therefore require. And another thing on that too, Paul, is we're very lucky in Australia. We don't have, um, you know, some of the viruses like they have overseas. Mm. Um, if we did happen to have some breakdown, it's easier to locate animals if you've got a register. If, if we did have something like, oh, we don't have rabies, but if we did have rabies, we'd be able to locate where those animals are that are at risk and, and vaccinate and things like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, it will make a large, you know, large difference in alerting owners rapidly. Yes. So, for example, when we do get a, um, a scare such as, well, in our local history, of course, Hendra virus in horses. So when a Hendra virus case is diagnosed, the veterinarians are given an alert. Right. So we're immediately in- informed either by email or by mobile that a case has been diagnosed. And that's generally to try and prevent, uh, if there is, a, for example, an outbreak, is for, for people to be very aware of where that, where that location is and be very vigilant in those circumstances. And it's quite likely that the trans- that could be transferred to a situation such as this. If we did suddenly have um, rabies come into the country, and look, Aquis are doing an exceptionally good job at preventing that from happening. Yes. But should those barriers fall, um, having these sorts of processes in place would make it easier for owners to be identified and therefore informed immediately. Yeah. Continuing uh, now, Paul, we were talking uh, earlier, we started the conversation about uh, skin allergies. We've, yes. We've moved through uh, the food uh, being a, a, a possibility. Uh, if it's not food that might be a skin irritant, what are some of the other things we can be looking for? Okay, so um, grasses, pollens are incredibly likely in, in most allergy cases. So in, in dogs who have developed an allergy, not as a puppy, but have developed it over time, is generally due to recurrent exposure to an allergen in their environment. And in the local area, generally it's grasses. So you can get animals who are, related, who are allergic to house dust mite, who are allergic to... Um, different kinds of um, artificial colourings and flavourings, um, personal deodorants. Um, they can be all, you can be allergic to lots of different things, but generally, it's, and particularly we find in local region, grasses. So those dogs out there who lick their feet. So um, lots of people think that that's just grooming or it's just that they're an, it's an anxious anxiety response. It's often related to low-grade or chronic contact allergens. So those cases, obviously, food's not going to make a difference to those. Um, But what we are looking for is sometimes those can be multifactorial. You might have a little bit of a grass allergy in combination with food or a little bit of a grass allergy in combination with shampoo reactions. So it's often not just a one... Um, one object that the allergy is reacting is, is caused by. It's often multi, multiple causes. And that, that is where it gets a bit tricky. Food, as we talked earlier, you can just sub things in and out until you, until you work it out. But uh, it's not very practical for somebody to rip up their entire Correct. lawn and, and put down a new style only to find that, well, it's not the grass I'm either. That as well. <laughs> That's right. So, and this is why I think owners of dogs who are itchy or cats who are itchy are often very frustrated by the condition because, as we spoke from this other program, these conditions aren't going away. You, you obviously, as you said, can't have this dog have no exposure to grass. It's, 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 you know, unless you concrete your yard, you only walk on concrete, then it's not, not possible for that to do that. So that's where medications come into play. So either we can use shampoos and topical medications, which we always try and do first. Um, it's always easier to try and manage them. It doesn't require um, tablets or injections. But there are now some very good medications in the markets that are used to control allergic skin disease 
um, minimise the effects of those skin diseases when they're present. And often the newer ones now have such little side effects that there's some really good options now for managing skin disease. Now, the client who unfortunately I couldn't answer as well as I'd hoped to previously, we're using a drug called corticosteroids or prednisolone. Now, prednisolone is, uh, has been around a very, very long time. It's incredibly effective against allergies, but disappointingly does have side effects associated with its use long term. And so there is, um, its benefit is it's financially very cheap to buy. And so, and, and often a very, as I said, if, if you use it correctly, um, manages the disease very well. But in cases where you might be getting side effects from the corticosteroids, and I think this is where this client's issue may have been, then often it's about using um, some of the more modern drugs that have the same benefit of corticosteroids without those side effects physically. Good afternoon, Lynette. You're at Rathmines, and you have uh, an allergy in your dog for our pet spurts this afternoon. Hi. And uh, you've got an allergy problem with your dog, Lynette? Oh, I've had um I've had West Island white terriers for nearly 15 years now, or a bit longer, and they're notorious for having allergy problems. Yeah, they're genetically predisposed, Lynette, so there's certain breeds who are often more likely to develop allergic skin disease, and West Highland white terriers are number one. They are. I'm just wondering if there's a dermatologist that I can take my 18 months old term. Actually, we're very lucky in Newcastle now. We now have two dermatologists who service the local area. Um, so if you contact Hamilton Veterinary Practice, they have a visiting dermatologist. I think um, Danny comes every fortnight, but they will be able to tell you the information there. Um, otherwise, Eric also have a dermatologist on board as well. So we're, we're fortunate there are now two dermatologists who now service the local area. I don't believe they're here every day, but if you contact either of those um, practices, I'll be able to give you the details. They're both very good people and, and it, always really good if you start with a, a specialist early on in the dog's disease, um, often you can minimise some of the side effects that can occur from chronic skin disease. Thank you very much for your call. And uh, it's that time, Cheryl, you've got the job this week. We've got not one but two <laughs> dogs two. of the week. Let's start with Boff. Okay, just have a look at Boff. Oh, what a gorgeous boy. Three-year-old Staffy Cross. He's energetic and he loves to pay. Boff hasn't had the best start in life, so he needs understanding and patience. He will make a beautiful family member with the right people. Um, He sleeps in the laundry at present but would like so much more to be part of a family. He needs someone around most of the time until he gets trained a bit more. So you need a bit of training here. He currently lives with a large dog and they have... They get on very well together. Buff walks well on his lead and is playful and loving. And look, he sounds uh, very, very nice. And a nice little picture of yeah, Buff there. Yeah, it's a great yeah, photo. He's a cutie. All right, we're moving. Okay, here's your sweetheart, Mark. <laughs> do you, am I doing this or are you Yeah, doing? you do this one. All right, so nice little picture of the dog by the name of Bean. Now, Bean is a sweet cattle dog cross puppy, just nine weeks old. He has an absolute is an absolute pleasure to be around with his irresistible cuteness and affectionate nature. Bit like bit like us, isn't it, Cheryl? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. He's been raised in a home environment and has been well socialised with other puppies and people and gets along with them all. He loves people and cuddles, and being the smallest in the litter, he is a little bit more timid than the other puppies. He needs an, that little bit of extra reassurance in new situations and will be more suited to someone with a calm and patient energy. Uh, Bean is very smart and easy to train and loves his food and will sit and wait for his dinner 
and he's been going to grow into a, he's going to grow into an intelligent and energetic dog so again a little bit more ongoing training and socialization is important ideally looking for a friendly calm adult dog as a teacher or an owner who is home a lot and has the time to devote to his training uh, not desexed yet uh, and he is available uh, right now so there's our dogs of the week bean is very cute yeah bean's also got a brother and sister up for adoption as well oh is that right you can take the whole lot of them home no 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 oh, no, no, no 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 we don't no. In, don't encourage siblings <laughs> yes just one at a time one at a time anyway, what do you think a couple of nice little little dogs there yeah, yeah lovely dogs um, anything else before we were almost getting to that time where we'll be wrapping up soon? So I guess we just touched on then about siblings. So we've probably mentioned on the program before. So when you do have that temptation when you go to see a, um, a litter of puppies and we'd love you to take two or three home, just remember that there are some behavioural conditions that can be stimulated by keeping siblings together. Certainly if you ever do go down that road, certainly don't get two girls or two boys and if you do have that temptation to take a a sibling couple home make sure you train them separately and they also have independent time away from each other as well they're they're disappointingly is a very strong um, condition called sibling rivalry which can end very poorly um, often with the death of one of the siblings if the fights get too out of control so resist that temptation yeah resist that probably the best way to go Uh, a great uh, topic this afternoon Dr Paul uh, skin allergies so Mm. we've sort of gone through uh, the environmental factors we've gone through the food uh, shampoos and and those sort of irritants now yeah so look I mean shampoos can be a, a blessing and a curse so certainly um the idea of using your the same shampoo you have in your shower on your dog is often a really poor idea, and, and Cheryl, yeah. you'd be aware of That's those changes. That's because of our pH. Our pH and our, and our dog's pH is different, and we don't want to go altering that. That's right. Um, but they can play a very good role in managing allergic skin disease, and there are lots of very good allergenic shampoos. They require very different um, application, and that's important in the process, Cheryl. Yeah, and the thing is, too, a lot of people don't realise that they need to read those labels really well on the products that they're getting because some do have different applications some have a waiting time they have a massage right. time yep. because we need to um, to kill these organisms that may be on their feet if it's on their feet that they've got the allergy showing and the other thing that a lot of people don't do Paul is they don't rinse the products no. properly so when you think you've rinsed your dog's feet, please rinse, rinse again. again. Yep. And drying. I can't emphasise enough how we need to keep those um, areas after we've bathed a dog dry. So, you you know, some people just dry and they think, oh, that's good enough. The dog can go and lay out in the sun. Yep. But and that's where we see hot spots forming. Yes. So as people are obviously aware, particularly if you've ever had a long-haired dog, um, if you allow your dog to drip dry on a very warm day, the humidity created on the skin will allow the local staff to overgrow and you can get a very quickly... Um, very invasive dermatitis that starts what called a moist dermatitis, commonly known as a hot spot. So really you can end up with a situation where you think you're doing the right thing. I'm giving the dog a bath, I'm getting him or her nice and clean. But if you don't follow through with those those end bits and pieces, you'll, you'll end up with another problem. Exactly. Yeah. And particularly in allergic dogs where they've already got a raised humidity on their skin because often they've got a body temperature elevation from the allergy, any retained moisture on those skins can really fuel the secondary dermatitis, the bacteria that move in over that over that and time. Another thing too at the moment, Paul, when we've got the dew and if we have rain and we have a dog go outside, it's a great idea to have a towel near your door so you can wipe those feet as they come in. Some dogs love having their feet wiped, but yes, no, no, I think don't. it's really it yes. Sometimes. <laughs> but um, I think it's a really great idea to be able to make sure you've got a towel there just to dry those feet. Yeah, look, I think. Um, 
as you also know, a lot of contact allergens being grass, wet grass is much more allergenic than dry grass. Um, so if you've been out on wet grass, you're more likely to absorb those allergens quicker and therefore your allergy will flare faster. So often even if you've freshly mowed your grass, it's a good idea to wipe their feet and they'll be on that as well. A lot to think about. Thank you, Cheryl and Dr. Paul, for a My great pleasure. pet chat. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.